welcome to Fosbury Flop, a podcast for the crazy ones who are not fond of rules, a podcast about the geniuses who change the world. Robert Ripstowski is an experienced professor of sports science in SS Cyril and Methodius University. He has carried out research on dynamical systems theory, ecological dynamics, complex systems approach, among many others. In fact, when I hear the following quote, I think of him. As to methods, there might be a million, and then some, but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully choose his own methods. The man who tries methods, ignoring principles, is sure to have trouble. I am passionate about his ability to explain, with the same principles, phenomena that I would say have nothing in common. Robert, uh, welcome to, to Fosbury Flop, and thank you very much for, for accepting the invitation. Thank you for having me, Marty. It's a, it's a pleasure to finally meet you after reading so many papers and, and so many <clears throat> citations of Rivstovsky, Robert, at least to, to be able to talk face-to-face with you. Thank you. It's my pleasure, too. I have done a bit of research through Google Scholar, ResearchGate, and I have seen that you have more than 5,000 citations that we can count. Also, they say more than 130,000 reads, which at the end will be much more because not all of them count, and that you have involved in around 130 publications. So my first question is, do you remember your first publication? Of course I remember. It was in... uh... Uh, Physica Cultura or Physical Culture of, uh, it was a Serbian journal from Belgrade in 1989, actually. But before I had, I, I was also, <laughs> I mean, uh, the scientific publication, it was in 1989, but I had also other publications in this, uh, popular science. It was Galaxia. Uh, the name was Galaxia, Galaxy, in Serbian Galaxia. So uh, there I had some publications uh, about the future of the universe and so on, because I was very much interested in astrophysics, astronomy, and now I'm also following the things. And uh, But uh, a scientific paper, it was in 1989, and it was about creativity, actually, a mathematical model of creativity. Uh, ba- based on, yes, ba- based on, uh, neur- at the time they were called neural graphs because the mathematical structure of the network is a graph. So, uh, yeah, that was it. Uh, it was about creative. It was about biomotor, so-called biomotor field, but as a dynamics of that biomotor field, one part was uh, the creativity, the biomotor creativity. So and was, was it was in short was it creativity applied to sport or not? Biomotor creativity. Okay. So of course, also for sport and for any physical activity. Also for uh, for the Ministry of Silly Walks of Monty Python. You know, it, it depends on the context. 
Yes. And, and after that, you have posted, as I said, so many around 130 or you have been involved, no? Uh, yeah. But yeah. where, where does come, what happens in your life that you have so many things to say, so many papers to be involved, so much curiosity, so much intellectual curiosity? Yeah. Well, I'm that kind of person. I don't know. Uh, I, um, the youth, for example, I was, I was, uh, um, training, uh, boxing, swimming, but also I was playing in a rock band. <laughs> so I'm uh, that kind of person. I don't know how to say a bit divergent. And uh, what actually focused me on, on science is um, uh, was uh, watching Carl Sagan's Cosmos. It was in 1987 or 86. It was on TV. And I was following it uh, very much. And uh, so that uh, formed me, uh, formed my interest for science, for art and science uh, together. So that I, uh, in, yes, uh, excuse me, uh, from my point of view, I think that was the crucial point, the bifurcation point. But you didn't start it from the beginning specifically to sport because Robert, I felt that me, that I have been reading and following you a bit. I would say most of your, your papers are applied to many fields, but they talk specifically about the sport. Yes. I don't know sure. if you agree. Sure. You don't start already like sport or first with astrophysics. Well, I started, uh, started to train boxing, then swimming. And then when my youth came, I started to, to, to play handball. And in the same time, I was playing in a, in a, in a band, in a rock band. So all the things were going parallel in parallel. Uh, so, uh, while I was, uh, in high school, secondary school from 14 to 18 years of age, right? I was doing that in parallel. And then I, I continued at the faculty of, uh, at the time, faculty of physical culture. Actually, I was uh, one year in army and in army, there were two guys who, uh, from Zagreb, who told me that there is diving also as a subject at their faculty. So I liked very much diving. And then, uh, yeah, I went uh, to, to, to the faculty of physical culture. It was summer. I was still in army and I asked uh, 15 days to go <coughs> back in Skopje. I was in Serbia in Kraljevo in army. Then in, at that time it was Yugoslavia. It wasn't, uh, like this, uh, uh, yes, uh, with small republics, but it was Yugoslavia, so we were going. So, so I asked for 15 days, uh, pause, and then I went to, to do the exams and all that. And from 19, 1983, from 1983, I, yes, I started at the faculty. From the, from outside, I see that with your papers, 
you can talk about many different topics of science. And it's a little bit what I see now that you are talking about your youth, that because your curiosity, you were uh, trying many things, practicing different fields. I don't know if it has happened the same with your academic career. Well, uh, actually, yeah, there was one gap there, uh, the first paper from 1989. And then, uh, look, uh, those were different times. There was no internet. So uh, the only communication uh, apparatus was the fixed telephone, nothing else. So uh, then as I got employed, uh, I had to do some other things than what was my real interest. So what was... Uh, what was feasible, actually. And those were the times of this upheaval in ex-Yugoslavia, the beginning of 90s and until 95, 96 there. So there was no so much uh, possibility of communication and all that. Uh, and uh, so I started to do some things about with reaction time. So my master and doctoral dissertation were about psychophysiology of reaction time. And until 1997, I, I had my PhD doctorate on that. And uh, then I continued with these uh, more dynamic things. Although I had also this um, in the doctoral dissertation, it was the structure and dynamics of uh, visual motor reaction. So I was also analyzing those things. But from 1997, 98, I returned back more seriously on that because I got some position and all those things. So I, I was again more, how to say, more free to do my things. And then, uh, with the, with the advent of, uh, Internet in 1999, somewhere 2000, 2001, that was the period. Uh, well, you start to see who is doing what and all that, you know, because in Yugoslavia, we didn't have uh, any Western or Eastern uh, journals of science. We didn't know what is happening. It was Yugoslavia and that was it. Uh, and, uh, then you have more chances to see with, uh, who is doing what and so on. And I saw that some people have similar ideas. <laughs> and then I did uh, that, uh, research with boxing and then connected with Kit Davids, with Duarte. And, uh, well, then it started that. Uh, actually, I started to work with that group. Then in 2007-8, I think, I started to work with Natalia's group. And uh, then in parallel, I was working with uh, Natalia's group and with uh, Keith David's group. Uh, yeah. And then with also Carlota, with Angel, and that group from Dida. With also with Alfonso's Vainoras uh, from Lithuania, some two, three papers we have. And yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> and in Keith David's group, there were people from New Zealand, from, from Australia, from also Portugal, I mean, normally, and uh, from Germany, Robert Rhein. And at which, yeah. at which point at, at your career, what is the first moment you discover complexity science or dynamical systems theory? And you say, okay, I think this is the way, or I think I need to research more about that and bring it to people in order to help them in their life, in their careers, and so on. Yeah, it, it was from the beginning. I mean, the, the first paper in 1989, it was uh, about the, what was the, it was so long. It was about uh, uh, the dynamics of biomotor field, something like that. And well, the dynamics is that actually, uh, the ideas about nuts, well, complexity to, to, to implement somehow the ideas that were first developed in physics. It was from that period from 83, 84, 85, actually. I will tell you in 1982, uh, the predictions of the standard model of uh, physics of elementary particles was confirmed in CERN in Switzerland in 1982 and Carlo Rubia got Nobel Prize. The prediction was uh, of these weak intermediary vector bosons, WZ, you know, and uh, it was all connected with symmetry, with symmetries in nature. Uh, and uh, because I liked actually the artistic part of science and symmetry is connected with art very much. And that was this what, what, uh, gave me a kind of uh, direction of because all this with, from elementary particle physics is dynamical systems theory. I mean, you have differential equations there, right? So, so from, from, yeah, from maybe 83, 84, 85 and so on. And I started <coughs> with that. I felt that that can be translated into the movements, uh, I mean, human or animal movements and so on. And then I found in 90s <coughs> from Petuchov, a Russian biomechanicist, uh, symmetry of biologia, that, uh, that means symmetries in biology and so on. So those were very interesting with uh, so-called conformal uh, symmetries. And conformal group of symmetries actually is very much present in 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 biology and also in in, in quantum field theory. The most you powerful said, theories in quantum field theory are the conformal <coughs> are based on the conformal group of symmetries and so on. But you have that also in in human beings. For example, you have this conformal group of symmetry, you know, like a spiral and so on, connected with the golden ratio and all that. You see, you, you said that you see that dynamical systems theory and all the principles could be transferred to movement 
also to coaching and training, I guess. Normally. So at what point you from the academia think or how, not that, for example, principles like stability, multi-stability, attractors, repellers can help a coach in the court in order to understand mo- uh, yeah. movement, behavior of players, coaches to, to address training issues and so on. Uh, normally, uh, that is connected with, uh, with non-proportional changes in, in, in the human movement system. So with bifurcations and phase transitions and all that. So it is, whether it is emergence of a new particle or of a new strike in boxing, it, the mathematics behind is very similar, is the same. So, you can use the the control parameter can be uh, i don't know the the distance from a heavy bag so you can <coughs> change the control parameter and the the learner can actually use different strikes so you don't have to prescribe but you can just uh, you can just uh, uh change the 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 scale the distance uh when that distance is scaled with respect, for example, to the arm, then you have intrinsic metrics uh, of the of the of the learner, and then you can just by changing that uh, you can elicit uh, movements, different movements, different actions in, in uh, without I, I, prescription. I, I want to ask you about this a bit a bit later about your your famous paper uh, how boxers decide how to punch no but yeah. then i would say for a coach that has never uh, written any of your papers or know about it which principles would you say to him or her that are important and how they work how can they help him or her to their practice which ones are the important ones well the important ones are that uh, through parametric change of of the environment, for example, or of the personal constraints, that you can elicit new movements. Uh, actually, uh, that is uh, what uh, what uh, all these constraints-led approach is about, to learning, to creativity, and so on. So, um, less instructions, and uh, more maybe design of environment. That is what uh, actually Professor Davids is now uh, disseminating in the world. So another principle but, that, but, that I sorry, okay. Robert. D- don't worry. Just ask me. And another principle that that I think it can help many coaches that it changed a bit my mind when I met was the spontaneous self organization. Why does spontaneous self-organization can change so much the practices, if you understand it, than the traditional ones? Well, uh, you always have self-organization. I mean, in a complex system, it depends what how you how you define self-organization. I think that everything is self-organized, even when you have a plan. Uh, of doing that plan was uh, emerged through a self-organized way. I mean, you cannot, you cannot know what you will say three seconds from now. It emerged simply in a spontaneous way. 
due to some constraints, of course. So uh, I think that uh, that uh, what is important in uh, in uh, in uh, uh, constraints led perspective is that uh, you have very much implicit uh, learning, you know. And also in all these, uh, for example, games and so on. And that kind of knowledge of the environment uh, is much less susceptible to, to, to choking under pressure, for example, during the, the matches. So, um, for example, uh, even if your anxiety level is higher, you won't make uh, wrong movements uh, and your performance will be held on a high level. So, uh, when you are doing that with instructions in a conscious way and all that, uh, then uh, you go in a phase of regression when you are under pressure and then you can make more uh, more mistakes. That is very important for sports uh, competitions, especially when it is very important match and all that. It's it's very curious this because Natalia uh, made Natalia Balaghe said a similar point in which she said that when she was playing basketball and the coach forced her to think and to uh, that the control of movement was conscious. No, I have to do the layup first with this step, then this step and the hand that created uh, mistakes for her. Like I miss because I think. Yes, you you have you are uh, that is called the regression phase. You start to act as a beginner when you think too much, and uh, the, uh, w when you have this more um, how to say it, spontaneous learning. Uh, through, when you say like spontaneous say, lear when yeah, you say spont spontaneous learning, are you talking about explicit learning? Of course, explicit learning, or through instructions, or through through corrections of the movement, when when you specify the movements. It, uh, you, uh, look, if, even <laughs> there is a bit confusion here. Uh, Everything is constrained. Even the instruction is constrained. You constrain someone and you tell how to move the, 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 the arm, for yes. example, in shooting on, in a, for, in basketball. Okay. Everything is a constraint, but there are non-specific constraints and specific constraints. This is a specific constraint. You specify the movement itself. Look here a bit the angle no this that and so on that is this conscious instruction and all that <clears throat> however when you have external focus of attention and you you actually don't push so much this doesn't mean that instruction doesn't come at some point but it is overwhelmingly uh the due to this external focus of attention and self-organization, the movement, right? So then if, if the constraints we propose in training are not a, a specific, but non-specific, that you don't specify how to do it, mm -hmm. and then you let the player self-organize, not spontaneously to adapt, 
Yes, but you channelize him through constraints. It is a kind of discovery learning, actually. You, you, you channelize the learner, but you don't specify what she or he has to do. That's but, but then it's curious because the coach is always like controlling the player more or less where he wants the player to or how wants the player to behave. Okay, but uh, the point with the human body is that it is always under constraint. Uh, you, you, you know, complex systems cannot be fully constrained. And you always have uh, degrees of freedom which are not controlled by the instruction. But For, uh, the, the point is the, cha the channeling can be very strong and even in very strong uh, channeling of the, of the learner, it is under constraint. You cannot fully constrain a biological system. <laughs> That's not possible. But also the channel can be a bit wider. So the coach controls the things through that, through how wide he poses the... the you actually, think look, I will tell you one thing. Uh, all this... Uh, all this um, methods or approaches or whatever of learning, like uh, contextual interference, like uh, variability of practice, like constraints left and whatever, are actually just artificial extractions from free play, free game. You have that in the game. You have learning of two or more uh, movement modes simultaneously. Well, that's contextual interference, right? You have variability of practice from different positions, different this, uh, you are different uh, angles with different speeds. You pass the ball. Yes, you pass the ball. So you have variability of practice. You have constraints of the, for example, of your opponents at those or rules of the game or you have constraints that perspective. So those are just aspects from the game, just extracted yes. in a sense. You have all that in a free play, free game and so on. But they are important if you like to emphasize this aspect of learning or that aspect of learning to, to concentrate a kind of learning that you have in game, but maybe it is more rare, it is more dispersed in time. So when you like to make effect of what you plan to do, then you artificially extract, uh, so you do a contextual interference or this or that or constraints and so on. For me, this is a very interesting topic. We talked in the last episode with Juan Cortez, no? that um, at the end, we are always constrained. But the interesting topic for me for coaches is when the play, you are constraining the players, but there is a still, how would I say, the essence of the game alive, not the nature of the game. The and, and when you start constraining in order so they do what you want, that what the coach wants. And well, I think there is a limit that, that we will uh, never know, no? Uh, ab absolutely, it is very difficult to 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 uh, realize the thresholds in in when you have a biological system, and uh, uh, also those thresholds actually change over time. So, uh, 
Uh, in general, biological system is never fully constrained. You cannot constrain it. I mean, whatever you do, there are always degrees of freedom which are not under your control. So normally that, uh, that, uh, the, the player will show its own character. So to say, even when it is fully for you, you think that it is fully controlled, but it, it is always under constraint. So, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, Robert, now that we are in the, in the Fosbury Flop podcast, how all these yeah. principles of this un unconscious control of learning, implicit learning played in the case of, of Fosbury Flop and how Fosbury Flop emerged? Mm -hmm. Thank you for this question. I mean, uh, on the internet, there is a lot of uh, material, I mean, interviews with uh, Dick Fosbury. And uh, uh, what actually is interesting uh, for uh, the development of uh, Fosbury flop is, it is so, uh, so to, uh, so to say, um, a kind of, uh, primer example of how constraints let perspective works on discovery of uh, new movement forms uh techniques and so on so for all the things you have uh, i mean necessary and sufficient conditions uh what was necessary not only for fosbury flow but also in straddle when uh jumpers were going really high for example for straddle in 50s they must did two hundred and three centimeters i mean that was really high for that uh, period if you follow the the landing of uh, his landing in 1956 the landing was already not on the legs on the other side of, bar, of the bar, but it was on the, on the elbow and shoulder, back and back shoulder. So it wasn't possible to, to land on, on the legs. And even in that period, they had, uh, first they started at the end of the forties with, uh, to enable a soft landing place at the other side of the bar. They started putting sand. Then, they started to put uh, wood shavings, you know, chopping the wood and all those shavings. Then they started to cover it with nylon, with some material, whatever. So those were the, those were the, so to say, the <laughs> primary matrices for landing and so on. Soft landing place. So that was a necessary right. for, deve for developing. Tell these, me. these different landing surfaces, also affected, no? How at that time they were jumping? Absolutely. Uh, in order to jump uh, higher, you have to enable a soft landing place. Uh, the, even in straddle, as I told you, in 1956, uh, there was there were these uh, wood uh, shavings. So, because the landing was not as before, for example, if it is, I don't know, 
198 centimeters or 190 centimeters. The, the landing at the other side was also on, on legs. Okay, so you just jump and you land on legs. However, afterwards, when it went above 200 centimeters, the landing, even in straddle technique, was not possible to, to be on, on legs, but it was already on. There is a video on, on YouTube. Uh, um, the landing was Charlie? on the, on the shoulder, on the back of shoulder and the, and the elbow. Simply the fall was there, not on the, so you must uh, enable a soft landing place because then you, uh, if not, you will break your arm. I mean, uh, actually, Valerie Brummel was jumping, as you said, two meters and 28 centimeters, which oh. is more than, than, than his height. I mean, a, a fall in a wrong form, it would, it, it could have caused Amazing injuries if the surface is not is not a proper one. Absolutely, absolutely. So, 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 uh, w when you go above some uh, height, the landing is not possible on the legs. This is very important. You must fall on another part of your body. Usually, it is the the elbow and the shoulder. And that was uh, then, if you like to increase the bar right the height of the bar then you must you are forced to 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 uh, enable a soft landing and that was the necessary condition for the progress of the height right world records or uh now what what is the case with the uh, it is important to know that it was not uh, especially done for Fosbury uh, to put a mattress at the other side. It, the, the soft landing surfaces were much before that. So actually, uh, uh, as in words of Dick Fosbury, I mean, I'm telling now his story. He said that, I, uh, he said, I was sloppy with straddle technique. Simply, my individual record didn't progress. And then he decides to change the coach and to go back, not straddle, which was the height at the time. Straddle was the, the state of the art, right? At the time, everyone was. Uh, he decided to go to Caesars and uh, other people uh started to 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 question and why why you are going to scissors because with scissors you cannot do so uh you cannot uh, achieve the heights that you can with straddle but <laughs> you see they uh, thought universe uh, universal uh, uh, in a universal way you know so everyone should do something in order to uh, achieve uh, high jumps however he went back to scissors scissors were old technique i mean already obsolete at the time and now what is important with straddle technique uh you cannot develop fosbury flock why because of two important things first 
the takeoff leg in straddle is the inner leg close to the to the bar the inner leg that is the takeoff leg and second when you are up your belly faces the 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 bar okay from there to to produce fosbury is not possible now going back to scissors scissors what is the technique these two things in scissors the takeoff leg is the outer leg as in fosbury right and when you uh, are in flying uh, face your back and your butt faces the bar it is much more similar not of course too much similar but these are important things your butt and back are facing the bar and then as fosbury says then as the bar was raised i was forced uh should we say constrained to make arc in the back right arch to arch the back simply you are forced constrained to do that and actually that was the the moment when the when fosbury was was born so the uh, the element these elements it is very important as a i mean <laughs> general message sometimes you have to uh, go back in order to progress because this what is the state of the art at the moment can be just a, a, a dead end and going back to caesar's that enabled him now to to in 1968 to make the world record actually so he developed this some five six maybe more years actually i think this example of fosbury flop has i would say is the example with more 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 properties that we can learn in order to train no how this fosbury flop emerged spontaneously how the coach at the end matters very little no because it's the challenge of a higher bar it's the individual yeah. constraints that yeah. he wasn't feeling good it's yeah. the environmental constraints also no that soft surfaces were soft were surface. applied yes and also uh, how how uh, a kind of uh, uh, a kind of uh, so to say handicap can make you big you 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 can be sloppy in one technique but you can invent another one so often that kind of constraint personal constraint in interaction with the with the environmental constraint can bring you to some other also you have to have a trait of of exploring not everyone will uh, will uh, do what dick fosbury has done so and also i think the, uh, the coach here the coach had uh, his uh, uh, role as enhancer he just left him because another coach will say simply no no you cannot do scissors here we do only uh, straddle you yeah. know but he let him so that was the role of coach let he let him to do what he felt that he can uh, so it is the role of coach as a facilitator enabler of exploring 
Yeah. Also, I like it a lot that it emerged unconsciously, as you were saying, implicit. You don't need to over control it, no? But no, we coaches absolutely. like to, to make it all rational, all about orders, all about instructions, all about our models. Yes. Uh, well, uh, that, that has, that can have also detrimental role to, to the character of the athlete. Uh, because, uh, you know, if you, it, it, uh, if, if from child someone starts to, 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 uh, grow as a athlete and as a person in, in that kind of environment in which you have this explicit information and all that, then afterwards also as a person can become, uh, someone who actually, uh, waits for comments and so on. So more narrow and so on. So it's not only about sports, but also development of the person. So that is why a balance between, yeah, specific and non-specific uh, constraining is important. And those things are very subtle for each person. It is different. So the coach has to be very much focused on the individual. Um, yes. uh, you know, I... I I let you time to think if you need, but would you be able in short sentences to tell me what are the main lessons for a, for a coach that has never heard about constraints or stability? What are the main lessons of the Fosbury Flop episode that we can bring to the court, to training? Uh, well, in several sentences, I don't know, but the, the point is that, uh, 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 look, um, we, uh, Fosbury, uh, the case of Fosbury and uh, these uh, rare cases of inventors and so on is, it's not representative of, uh, the whole, uh, um, populations of athletes. So, you know, you cannot, uh, uh, take, for example, I don't know, the example of Bill Gates and say, well, Bill Gates, uh, didn't, uh, uh, didn't finish the university, so also anyone can become Bill Gates without university. So you cannot generalize based on 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 one person that has succeeded uh, uh, exceedingly in some. But but in general, one can say that actually um, um, the coaching process should be focused on the individual very much. Uh, and, uh, allow exploration on the, of the individual of his own, uh, movement or decision making or whatever modes. And that, uh, um, particularly, particularly, uh, the, Coaches should be focused on the person of the of the of the of the, the, of the athlete. So the first is the values. Uh, uh, using those values or monitoring those values, then the motives, then the the goals, and at the end the. Uh, it, it, on the shortest time scales, uh, the preparation of the tasks for each training and so on. But first are the values. Uh, if the values 
the values are the the pillars of each person and of the life of person if that is not at certain level simply everything down uh, uh, can be destroyed so the first is the values i think that this is very important it's not only the task constraints the you can you can uh, uh, be a great uh, coach at the level of task constraints and all that. I mean, you know thousands of uh, manipulations of constraints and all that, and all that. that's nice. And, however, right. can we improve performance by changing values or beliefs of a person? Well, the, for example, the value is how much you you how, uh, how how much you value what you're doing. You know, uh, people go in sports with different values and different convictions. So, uh, finding out which individual uh, has what kind of values will simply give you information on on what actually you can expect from that person. It is like a sandwich. You have the values and you have the genome and everything in between follows. It is like this, uh, like a circular causality. So, uh, what you, what you can, uh, what you can, uh, take as information or you can influence are the values you cannot change the genome but you can influence the values of the of the of the person so that is very important without that the the performance will be less than expected so it was a, a mind changing for me to discover about carol dweck ali akrum no, stress enhancing mindset, no? That whatever you believe about the stress affects how do you respond to it. And I think this gives, uh, understand this no. gives a lot of power to coaches because then they know that they can change behaviors with task constraints, but also with uh, changing a person or talking about what a person believes or what makes him worry. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes, because that is the long-term constraint. That is the long-term constraint that controls all the others. Slow change, here we have the theoretical part, the slow changing variables uh, enslave the faster changing variables. Values are the slow, the slowest changing variables because you don't change values every day or every week, right? It can last years, even decades, some values and so on. So at, on that level, the intervention, there can be more types of intervention, uh, stabilizing the values, you stabilize the motives. Through stabilizing the motives, you stabilize the goals that someone has. Through stabilizing the goals, you stabilize the, their strategies and their perception, their action at each uh, training session. So 
it is like a pyramid. So it is very important. And Robert, would you say that one person plays as he or she lives? That behaviors he, in the life then show in the court? Um, excuse me, I didn't I, I repeat it. I repeat it. If one person play some specific sport as he lives outside of the court, some behaviors that he might show in the day-to-day, -day, then also reflect in the court when he's playing? Well, it can be. I mean, there are many cases where, uh, as a behavior, as general behavior, not the performance, but general behavior, you ask me? Yes. Well, I haven't thought actually about that, but I think that uh, the, a person can, can show some traits wherever, uh, wherever it uh, can happen. So there are some stable traits. Some are context, very much context dependent, but some traits can be, can be also shown outside of the court and inside. So. In that sense, I mean, did, that, I, te I tell this from experience, <laughs> not so from, much from, from science. From which experiences? I mean, I have in my life experiences. Some people are athletes or whatever. They have a, a kind of characteristics outside of the of the court and inside. I mean, uh, to be a bit without saying. To, no, I was saying without saying names or. Or situations, could you develop it a bit more? What did you face in those situations, and, and what did you learn? Some, some, uh, some. For example, some athletes are more soft outside of the court and inside the court. Some are more bully, for example, outside the court and inside the court. So that is a kind of trait that uh, doesn't change with respect to the context. Now, another thing is, and another question, whether you can change that. So that is another question. However, without uh, intervention, that can be helped. However, uh, in uh, <coughs> some things are, for example, even uh, it can make someone who is more bully softer in, inside, inside, but with respect to the rest of population, again, he or she is up there. So, in, in that sense, Albert, now it is general. Have... Look, Marty, it is. It is uh, in, in general. Some traits are more stable and less uh, responsive to the context, but some are very much responsive to context and to simply the behavior. Outside of the court, it is totally different with the behavior inside the court. So it depends on which traits. And again, it is individually. It is not that some trait is stable in all uh, persons. And that is why individual uh, approach is very important. You know, a coach should be like a, like a scientist uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> researching everything. Every individual that he has, uh, as I mean, the athlete. So it is 
it is that both of them learn in a in a in a co-adaptive way. So this this made me think in, in one book. I don't remember the the author, but it's called the the end of the average, which explains you now that at some point in history of psychology they were discussing if it was important to talk about traits that person has or the environment in which they find themselves. Mm. And they reached the conclusion that it was how one interacted with each other mm. in the situation, not how these traits, environment, make some that more stable or less. And you make me think now, no, the power of the context, that it's also a yeah. thing that you repeat a lot, and I think it can... It's super helpful. The context dependence. Why do you mention so much context dependence and how, why it can help us in training? Well, the context dependence uh, actually means you, we are dependent on the set of constraints, interacting constraints. The constraints are, do, are creating the context. And uh, so we are in a sense like, uh, we can imagine the context like a room with some order, okay? So if the order is in some way, you can move only in some way. You cannot move in any way through the room. If it is different, you can move in different way, but not the previous one. So they're constraining, the context is constraining our actions very much. And that is, at the end of, uh, sometimes the constraints trap you. And simply, you, uh, you, for a long time, you're in one uh, point. Imagine that you are in a room where you have this, uh, uh, uh very tall, uh, objects and you cannot jump above them. Okay. So you are trapped. Until the con context, those uh, high um, objects are removed somehow, someone removes or you remove them somehow, and then you make a space. Then suddenly you see there a path is open, and then you go through that path. So it is like a room full of objects, and that that room constrains you to move in some way. You, you cannot move in any possible way. So that is the channelizing, uh, 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 the channelizing role of the constraints. It is on many time scales in one session and in the career of a, of an athlete. Career of human being or life of human being. Actually, everything is done with the constraints and the context. I mean, the context is a set of constraints always, and it presses you simply, right? And, but and when you, you talk interact about context, with that, you interact Robert, with sorry. that. Okay. When you talk about context and constraints, you talk about environmental and personal constraints. Both constraints create the context. All constraints uh, cre create uh, create the context. The interaction actually of of the uh, of the personal constraints with the environmental constraints and as a part of environmental constraints, those are the task constraints, right? They are part of the environmental constraints. Also, they are part of the, of the, of the personal constraints. For example, the goal 
is a personal constraint, but that is part of the task constraints. Uh, so that is the interaction. And then uh, you can see it in the two ways. And we don't have a theory of situation uh, until now. What is a situation? Is it, is it a situation of any person in some environmental and task context? Constraints, set of constraints? Or the context is the person together with the, those constraints, uh, the environmental and the task constraints. So no one, and there is a confusion there. Once you will read some uh, material that takes this definition that uh, the, the situation is all together, together with the individual, and in another, in another material, you will see something else that actually it is only the environment and uh, the task constraint, a part of environmental task constraints, all right? But the individual can be anyone. And there, some people say, if I was in your situation, I would do this. However, if we take this first, that the situation is defined also with the person, then everyone has its own situation. You cannot say, if I were in your situation, I would do that. And because so it is, there is a small or a bit bigger confusion here. And we don't have a theory of, of situation. Okay. What is situation? Definition and conceptualization. What is situation when you say so? Super. Yeah. Super interesting point. And I wanted yeah. to ask you that because personally, I didn't have any, any scientific argument. But when I was talking about the context, I was paying attention to the environment, but also the individual, no? Normally. Not only because at the end, if we don't include the person, I think we would talk about environment, not about context. But then following the analogy of the room, then it's like, if the context changes and we include the person and the, and the environment, then every room will be different. The objects will be placed in a different way. And also the subject as, as the subject is going to be different from the previous one will have also different ways to walk in that room and explore. At the populational level, yes, but for each individual, it will be. Uh, different situation. What I was explaining before, it was about, you have individuals, certain individual, and then there are these objects in the room and all that. And for him, at that, under those constraints, there is this path. However, if you have another person, then of course that that person can move, uh, in different ways because of the personal constraints. Absolutely. Yes. And that is why actually. Okay. I think it's a super, super interesting point. And this, no, and this makes that in a sport, every player in the game or every team explores a different room because the context for the team A is different for the team B. And this makes the coach Pay attention not to the receive, not the receive to what he wants to do, but to the context in which his team and he is. 
Absolutely. Absolutely normal. That is why the context is very important. And that is why uh, every every person and every team is a kind of uh, separate person. So the coach has to find all the, those characteristics of the team and of the context, the room together, the situation defined in this other way. Right, where the person or the team is also part of the context, not uh, separate, and uh, that is why actually uh, the 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 work of the coach is very very complex, so to say. It's uh, uh, <laughs> not everyone can be a coach. You know, you can. Uh, there are professions. Why? Uh, well, because uh, there are things uh, uh, that uh, not everyone has. For example, not everyone has uh, a, uh, a kind of uh, ability to to deal with individuals. Uh, but don't, intuition don't. also intuition is very important because if everyone could be a great coach, then everyone would be a great coach. Coach, but the the facts talk that actually not everyone is a is a good coach, and many many people simply are making wrong things. And but, but I here think it's not again the good coach or not a context dependent thing. Like it's true, not that the individual has some traits, some constraints, but also depends in the environment he is. Absolutely, but uh, then you have objective criteria of performance. Uh, so not everything is relative, actually, because you have objective criteria of performance there. And then you have a, one complex system, you have a coach, you have a team full of different individuals, and then there is some kind of objective performance. Uh, the, the, the problem here is that you have some context dependency and at the end you have objective performance then uh the 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 point of a coach is to 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 guide the team in this way for example the context dependent and at the end that to attain to achieve that objective performance uh so in this sense you uh, you cannot say that uh, uh, actually all paths are okay so because you have a selection criteria at the end of the day objective criteria which is the the performance you have a gold medal and so on if it is without that objective performance then that is totally different thing then, of course, that you can have much uh, uh, more space to, to, to say, well, okay, everything is okay. Every path is okay. There are many paths, but not all paths uh, bring to, 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 to the top. There are many paths. There is no, <laughs> at the time, the philosophy was there is one path that leads to, towards, uh, towards the great achievement and so on. But uh, then uh, 
things came to to the point that uh, actually there uh, all paths lead to a, to a great achievement. But actually, it is probably the middle. There are many paths, but not all paths, and not only one path. Still, still, there is a selection criteria because uh, also those constraints which which uh, exist, some constraints you cannot change. Simply, you cannot play with all constraints. Otherwise, we would be gods. Uh, so th- there are some constraints that are long-term and they are constant and you cannot change them. So you have to, 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 to uh, make the context that you can intervene on to fit with those constraints. And that uh, simply logically uh, leads you to the to the conclusion that there are many pets, but not all possible pets that can bring you to some high achievement level. Because in uh, in sports, that is what is the performance, the final performance uh, criterion is something like uh, top top performance. And, uh, and, it, and it's very tricky not to select because we can't take success as a criteria. Okay, there is success is good. There is no success is bad. It's very difficult to separate which paths in order to learn or, or play well or win are good and which ones are bad. No, you cannot select. Uh, of course, things are emergent and you cannot, you cannot previously select. But at the end, y- there are some uh, paths that uh, brought you, actually. That is why I say you cannot control all the things. So some things are under, uh, not under control. So you cannot predict, of course. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, you, you see which path is, was, uh, how to say, adaptive through th- that uh, room and uh, brought you to the exit and which paths were not so you cannot uh, you you cannot say uh, uh, beforehand but you can see after some time Robert, now i will play a devil's advocate okay. okay i think in your in one of your papers i i think it has been one of the more uh, seated the one about how boxers decide to punch, no? In that one, correct me if I'm wrong, please. In the, uh, in short, no, you show you show how modifying constraints of distance to the back, no? The hits, the punches, the kind hooks, no? All of them emerge on its own without the coach need to to say what to do. So then, if the coach just learns the rules of the game and just allows to... Uh, excuse me, if the coach... If the, if the coach learns the regulation of the game and just, tries, and, and just tries to modify constraints with rules, with punctuations, environmental constraints, then he can also uh, provide, be a good coach. Isn't it? Um, I didn't understand the, the question. Uh, uh, the role of the coach. You are asking me about the role of the coach here. 
Yes. Like the, the role of the coach, just modifying constraints, environmental ones can provide good, uh, it can be a good path to learn as we were talking. Okay. Is this the main point of the, of that paper that, uh, just modifying environmental constraints and intervention can be good because environmental or task, ta task, or task uh, yeah. constraints. Yes. Uh, uh, whether th um, that paper showed actually that the actions are uh, self-organizing and uh, emergent from a complex system set in a representative task. That was the, the main, uh, the main point actually of, of that paper. Uh, because before uh, uh, there were these lab experiments which were not so much representative in motor learning and so on in the 1980s and so on. So this was a kind of more representative uh, task. And in that representative task, we were showing how bifurcations were uh, emerging from the parametric change, parametric control of the system. That was the, but if we go now to these more practical things, uh, of course that you, you can, uh, you can, uh, um, make, uh, the biological system to learn through changing of constraints, but also you can give instructions. So, so instructions are non-specific. For example, you, you, you tell not to lose balance. That is instruction, but it is non-specific instruction. Uh, so you are not telling what strike to, to be used, but you, you give uh, instructions in a sense of, in a sense of non-specific channeling of the, whether only constraints, uh, non-specific constraints can bring you uh, to a good performance, I, I don't think so. Uh, as I said at the beginning, you, sometimes you need to give, uh, to, to, to also have um, specific instructions. It depends on the individual very much. So sometimes uh, specific instruction is important. It depends again on the individual because individuals are different. The, um, uh, more generally, uh, when we speak about constraints-led uh, approach, usually we speak about these non-specific constraints because they were mostly neglected at the time. Okay? Uh, so, so that is constraints led approach. Usually, uh, when one says that, uh, the focusing on these non-specific constraints, but also instructional constraints can be specific and non-specific. And also they are part of the constraints led approach. So, but that was this, uh, learning through instruction. That was an ordinary way of doing the things. So. I think that the combination is uh, always better than just to push the things. The, the point is that you, you are scaffolding uh, the, the learning process with also with instructions, with augmented feedback also, why not? So, 
but sometimes you have to 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 leave uh, to more exploration so a kind of a kind of changing once i was joking uh so let's make a method or approach that in, in, includes all of the all of the learning approaches like variability of practice constraints and, and so is, is, isn't and, that, and that isn't is that the game that is complex the game. systems approach isn't that complex systems approach it is very much complex systems approach yeah so you change you make uh, like like uh, this random uh, change not block then you change it to a block practice and repetitions repetitions repetition yes. and then that is the ultimate variability of practice because uh the organism has also to to see the difference between repetition and variability that is a difference also right so if if you don't allow the the organism to see that uh, that difference then then simply uh you're losing a big part of the of the variability because the organism will will see the variability of doing rep repetitively something and doing variably something there lies the the information in, in between so that is the ultimate uh kind of uh, methodology of of learning right <laughs> before finishing i wanted to ask you about i think it was 2006 you published with araujo and davids the paper uh, the ecological dynamics of decision making in a sport i still uh, read it nowadays and I, and I feel like, okay, this was posted in 2006, but it can be, as we coach nowadays, it could be perfectly uh, written and posted nowadays. Nice. How did, uh, how did emerge that ecological dynamics in that moment with Araujo and, and Davids? Uh, the ecological dynamics, uh, well, uh, it was uh, this experiment that uh, I did here with the boxing uh, duarte did uh, something with sailing i think and as a new methodology of representative uh, at the time that was um, the new thing actually you you, you use multi-articular uh, movements which are in representative environments you know it is not fingers so at the beginning of 2000s that was a, a big deal you know so you you show it in a representative environment a representative task striking the back or uh positioning in sailing and all that and uh you uh, uh yet you use control of constraints and you show how the modes change spontaneously uh, as you are changing the context. That was the, the at the time, great idea. Now it is not so great because everyone knows that, everyone speaks about that, and so. However, then it was, and uh, how it emerged. What? Well, we we joined these two things with uh, 
a kind of uh, a kind of uh, theoretical background of uh, joining ecological psychology of uh, of Gibson and the neo Gibsonians like Turvey, like uh, Mace, like uh, Robert Shaw, and with dynamical systems theory, this mathematical part, we joined that. And that is how ecological dynamics of decision making was born. Uh, ecological dynamics actually first was was uh, was then used for decision making. So the the, the <coughs> joint uh, uh, the joint uh, system of uh, thoughts, so to say, between dynamical systems theory and ecological psychology. I. In, in my in my coaching courses and in the bachelor degree, I learned not that in open sports variable with decision making, no, it was about perceiving, deciding, and then executing. But then you could decide one thing and execute and act in a different way. But I love how you say in that article that actions are hidden uh, true forms, forms of true choice. No, that at the end we don't decide and then act. But actions are decisions. Absolutely, actions are decisions. Are the, 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 I mean, uh, you, you have decided. It depends. It, it depends very much on the uh, on which type of decision we have. I mean, what, one type of decision is if you decide to buy a car next year. Another thing is is when you are temporarily constrained, like in sports, for example, and when you have to decide very in a very short term, then this perception action uh, cycle is very important. Simply, every action is perception. Every every action is exploration that is connected with the perception, and every, whether it is performatory action or exploratory action it is per, it gives you perception it in every uh, small uh, part of the second and then you you don't have a kind of deliberate uh, deliberating uh, about uh, what you can do how much it will cost you and so on so in these situations uh, the actions themselves are expectations and they are the decisions, absolutely, absolutely. And at the end, you can if, then you can go uh, a bit in a in a sense of uh, in a sen- uh, It is more a, log- a logical trap. I mean, uh, when you when you say, well, w- when you really decide it. Well, when you act, right? Uh, because before that, even if it if you think one year about buying a car, right, you have to buy the car, then you're sure that you have decided. Before that, everything can be deliberation. In general sense, for deciding when you speak. However, in sports, it is very much this type of perception action. You don't have this uh, level of uh, abstract thinking about the, how much it will cost you or whatever. There you have perception action there you have this typical connection between the the sensory motor uh 
connection. And then, of course, you don't have expectations in a sense. You don't, you have only actions. Because look, uh, you cannot, other types of thinking would be verbal thinking or through image, uh, images, pictures. Okay. To, to, to use that type of thinking needs time. That is a long term variable. The thinking, uh, you, you cannot, uh, you cannot, uh, um, you cannot think quick, more quickly than you speak. Try to think verbally, to say sentences in your brain uh, more quickly than you can pronounce them. You cannot. So it is a slow turn process. Also to form a picture in your head and then to deliberate on that. I mean, it is very slow. So when you have this type of uh, uh, constraints, right, to decide in part of second and so on, simply those uh, those uh, processes are not possible. They will be yeah. totally disadaptive for, for your performance. And then what actually you do, it is perception action uh, type. And actually, that is very much present. We, we think that the cognitive science at the time went uh, into, 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 um, into some avenues to, 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 to explore how human beings uh, decide, think, and so on, and uh, what is characteristic for human beings that differs from animals? Well, that is the language, that is the abstract thought, and so on, and so on. But then at the end, we see that all animals, together with humans, actually 99.9999% of, of, uh, of the decisions do through perception action. It is rare, I mean, that, that we, it goes on subconsciously. That is why we, we don't pay attention to, to, I mean, even where to look, it is a decision, left or right. You do a decision, but <laughs> we are aware of those things which come to the consciousness, you know, to the meta consciousness. So we can say, well, aha, uh -huh, now I, I am deciding. You know, we are deciding hundred uh, times more on this sub level than on the conscious level. But we are In getting conscious only about that, and we think that uh, well, decision is something that you have to deliberate very much and all that. So you you made me think in the system one and system two that Kahneman and Versky uh, mm -hmm. talk about. Well, it is, it is also, it is also the, co connected with the, the first and the second signal system and so on, uh, that, uh, uh, from the Pavlov and before that, when, when actually, uh, the subconscious thoughts actually are those who, uh, who create the, the bulk of our decisions and then on the, uh, at the top level, we have uh, kind of more slower decisions, which can be, which 
can be uh, consciously processed, which can be consciously processed. So it is a very it is a very old idea, very old idea about that. And uh, but the science actually focuses uh, in some periods on one type of uh, of problems and then it uh, it uh, you know for the readers it it uh, looks like that actually it is it is uh, only that type of uh, of processes which are important overwhelming and so on in, in science also you have hypes you have uh, fashions you know so now this is fashion tomorrow that will come fa as a fashion and so on so it is good to to have uh, more like a big picture on the on the on what is happening i like it that you made this uh, last reflection because i think with this broad or above point of view it's a, a good way to to close it Robert, I, ha I feel like you are a very, very big source of wisdom. I think you are one of the, the best ones in order to explain these complex systems approach, dynamical systems theory principles, right. in order to Thank understand you. it. And then that coaches like me and others are able to bring it to our practice. And I am very grateful about that. It has been a Thanks. pleasure to have you here. It was my pleasure too, Marty. So until the next I hope, time. I hope you continue every every year, every time to continue providing uh, amazing insights and to continue helping us coaches, professionals, practitioners to improve and have every time more critical thinking, more tools in order to address in the best way we can the context in which we find ourselves in. Yes, with pleasure, always. Thank you once again. Thank you very much, Robert. See you.